I don't want to offend. What if they I'm scared to say what I feel. What's wrong and I go with see me? what they want to see. Everybody else seems fine. Just say it. This is Jen Slumack. You're listening to the podcast, Just Say It, a show that aims to highlight the commonplaces among us as we amplify a variety of voices, conversations, and questions. We hope and move together toward Dr. King's beloved community. Thank you for tuning in. Esther Pearl is the founder and executive director of Real Stories. She received her bachelor's in visual arts from the University of California, San Diego, and her MBA in sustainable management from Presidio Graduate School. She spent 15 years working in production management in the entertainment industry. The majority of Esther's film career was spent at Pixar Animation Studios, where her feature film credits include Academy Award-winning films, The Incredibles, WALL-E, and Monsters, Inc. Oh, love those. Her other credits include Titanic, Starship Troopers, Armageddon, and What Dreams May Come. Esther has been honored for her contributions to Bay Area women in film, television, and media by the San Francisco Women's Film Institute. She was a semi-finalist for the Echoing Green Fellowship awarded to a social entrepreneur addressing urgent issues in society today. In 2018, she received the Distinguished Leadership Award from the Advanced Imaging Society. I met Esther. I came across, as you know, I've always wanted to be an actress or a big performer, and, and I came across this opportunity in the Bay Area to attend a women's uh, weekend in film. It was a women's filmmaking weekend by Real Stories, and it was put together by Esther, and this was in 2017, and I attended the weekend, and it was so much fun to make movies with other women who wanted to be behind the camera, in front of the camera, and learning a little about all of it. So I am honored to have you here today as I love your work, and I'm excited about uh, introducing you to the audience. I give you Esther Pearl. Hi, Esther. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really, I feel lucky. I feel like we're lucky to have this hour in this crazy world to talk about something as fun as women in film. Yeah, it's an important. It's not only fun, it's super important. Tell us about that. Tell us who you are and how you got here. Um, so I'm Esther. Uh, I am the founder of Real Stories. We are a filmmaking program for women, girls, and non-binary folks. Uh, our goal really is to change the demographics behind the scenes in the media so we can change the representation on the screen. And we've been around for almost a decade now, which has been really exciting. We've had thousands of young women and non-binary people come through our program um, for being a small Bay Area filmmaking program. And now we are, you know, we continue to expand to meet our community. So we're also working on job training and job placement and really trying to figure out what all the barriers to entry into this field are and how we can assist in overcoming those barriers. Job entry and job placement into the film industry? Yeah, yeah. Come on. Yeah, come Tell on. Tell me about that. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, we actually had our first, so the first group of young women um, that we served in 2013 just graduated from college. So we are wow. now, um, and we had 30 girls that first year and about 15 of them ended up going to film school. And so we're now working with them to, you know, frankly, they're getting paid even in this crazy, crazy economy and crazy world that we're living in right now where COVID shut down most of 
production. So, you know, we're having to be agile and flexible, but that's what both women and marginalized folks and filmmakers are good at, right? We all have to learn how to do many, many things if we have been, you know, less represented in industries. Absolutely. So 2013 was your first group of girls and and non-binary folks. And 15 of those, because of what you inspired in them with your program, 15 of those went on to film school. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So Esther, how does one decide to start realstories.com? How does that happen? Uh, I think, well, just like a little background of, you know, I was raised in a very politically active activist household. I actually was raised without a television. Um, And on that, like, really, my parents were at the forefront of many of sort of modern social justice movements. So as a child, you were not allowed to complain in our household unless you had a solution. Um, There was just never a time if you came home from school and said, I don't like my math teacher, my parents' response was like, what are you going to do about it? Like, then get the teacher removed or figure it out. And I'm like, I'm 10. I don't really know <laughs> what I'm going to do about it. I wanted you to do something about it, but that's just not how we roll. So, um, you know, no matter what, you know, and that could be frustrating as a child, but for it really, it gave you just an incredible amount of skill sets of like, if you think this is a problem, what are you going to do about it? Like, and who are you going to engage and how are you going to create community? And so, you know, I, you know, did the most appropriately rebellious thing for my family and went into film, which, you know, I think my parents didn't think there was a ton of redeeming factors in working in film. They came around. Um, But I really saw it as an opportunity to connect with humanity, right? Film and feature film, especially, you can reach billions of people. And a lot of that time is wasted on, you know, not particularly engaging work, but there's a lot of work out there that has changed hearts and minds in a lot of ways. And I think that that we're so quick to dismiss it, but, um, I think it's really valuable. And so I went into, I started working when I was 16. Um, so I started working on commercials when I was still, when I was a teenager and then I went in, you know, I was a little bit nerdy. So I went really into visual effects, um, and thinking about how computer imagery can be worked and utilized in a more broad fashion. And, you know, not everything I worked on had an incredible amount of value, but there was a lot of stuff that did. And I got to work with a lot of incredible people, but I was one of the few women in the room for sure. And, um, when I went to work at Pixar, you know, overwhelmingly the decision makers at Pixar were white men. And I'm going to be perfectly honest in my twenties, I was so happy to be there. I don't think I really even noticed it. You know, I don't know that I, noticed that it was a problem until I really started to think about like how many people get to see those films and how few viewpoints are really being represented. And then we had our daughter who, um, when she is Latina and when she was three, you know, I'd be like in the grocery store with her and people would be like, Oh my God, she looks just like Dora. And, um, or they would call her Dora. And I was just like, isn't Dora Cart? two characters like like I was like I mean I'm not I'm down with Dora the boots and the talking uh, monkey and the bat, magic bat, bat, but I just like went and dug into like what that meant and at that time so that was like early like 2000 she was born to like 2008 2009 um the only representation of a Latina girl on television on mainstream media 
was an animated character. Wow. And I was like, I don't think there's anything wrong with Dora, but I don't want my kid to be like diminished down to this being. Like, it's the, like your is, kid looks like a Smurf. That's adorable. Yeah, Wait totally. a minute. What? what? Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Like, um, and I was like, this is a, like, I, this is a problem. I can figure out how huh. to be part of the solution. I didn't think I could solve it, but so I left Pixar and I went to grad school and I got my MBA in sustainable management. A lot of that is focused on environmental, but I really focused on, you know, humans, how we can value people in our organizations and companies. And really real stories came out of my experience there of, you know, what happens when we change, we allow the people that are marginalized to become the content creators. What does our content look like? So this was just going to be like an experiment that happened for one year. And now almost, you know, nine years later, we're a year round program. We serve ages 12 to however old um, and really focusing, you know, on being expansive around representations of gender as well and thinking less about who we serve and more what we do. And what we are really trying to do is bring better representation on the screen by allowing, you know, more diversity behind the scenes. Because right now in 2018, still for like less than 5% of feature films were directed by women. The majority of those were women, white women, <laughs> women of color. That drops down to like a point percent. Um, you know, writers were about 13 percent. And this is post the Me Too movement. And we're still not right. seeing really the type of change we want to see. And so what we can do is really focus on creating a new industry that is more um not just accepting, but in, like truly inclusive, like truly understanding what it like that you actually have a better product um, if you have more diversity behind the scenes, because we have so much media and so much content. So the only way that you are going to like have your show rise to the, you know, above all of the other things that we can watch on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon or YouTube or is really to have authentic characters and have authenticity, authenticity behind the scenes. You know, it's interesting because you said that when you got to Pixar, you didn't necessarily even notice uh, that it was a problem, that there were predominantly white men in, in decision-making positions. Um, it's really interesting that that was a problem. And then, you, and then you do this experiment. So tell me, between the Pixar and uh, your grad school and the experiment of real stories, uh, why does equity in the media matter? Like, how does, why, why does it matter? They're good stories. We've got great stories, right? Well, I think the hypothesis I was trying to work with when starting Real Stories is what I would hear. And sometimes what would maybe necessarily be played out in front of me is that like, you know, women don't want these jobs, right? Like that, like, there's just not an interest there. You know, it is incredibly long hours. It is like, you know, it is sort of a nerdy culture. Like, this is not where folks want to be. And my hypothesis was like, what if they do want to be here <laughs> and they just don't know how to get here? Like, so like the p- plan with real stories was like, maybe no one will sign up. Maybe there, maybe there are no girls, um, uh, or, you know, at the time, you know, our language was more limiting. So I don't want to make it sound like we were so above the, we were just serving girls in 2013. Um, and now I, we have all learned to be more expansive with our, who we um, our gender, which is important. I think that's super important. Um, maybe no one will show up. 
And it turns out like we were sold out as most of our programs continue to be. So I think what, why that matters is that when we diminish and erase people, it is bad for our society overall. Um, and can I just, I, I go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to no, tell no, you something no, in a no. minute. Um, and when you see yourself represented or just a part of your representation on screen, it really gives you this sense of being part of something, right? Like, I think we can all, I mean, I was just doing an interview with my good friend, Liam Maklem, who is um, an entertainment reporter. And he was talking about the first time he saw two men kiss on screen and like that it seemed to, as a gay man, like he hadn't seen it, or if he'd seen it, it had been very negative connotation. It just validated his life. Media is really important. And so if you don't see families that look like yours, if you, I mean, we're not going to change the C-suite or government or any of these other systems if we don't have on screen seeing women playing presidents and seeing what senators look like and seeing, you know, and we see that just how that's played out currently with, you know, maybe an election in 2016 of who got more media attention and how women who were running for office were um, being treated by the media. And perhaps if you just did a little digging like I did, that you would see the people who were treating them were media organizations that were overwhelmingly male, right? That when you had more women and more um, people of color behind the scenes, there wasn't this sort of negative media backlash that was happening. So, like th- there's very real world consequences when we don't have equity behind the scenes. What a great answer. And I have to tell you that you summed up in one sentence, something that it's taken me years to sort of uh, discover in my own experience as a queer woman. And you said, when we diminish any race people, it is bad for our society. Whoa, because here's the thing. Oprah Winfrey said it, that she put herself on the face of her own magazine every time, because when she was a little girl, she never saw a black woman on a magazine cover. And people have their opinions about that. And Oprah, get over yourself. And I've heard a lot of critique. But the reality is, here's a little black girl who needed that. And she got herself to a place in a position where she was able to, and she's willing to listen to the naysayers so that that little black girl who's out there today sees her face, sees the possibility on a magazine, right? And so, you know, I, I, I think as a queer woman, I just as a small tangent, but it's really relevant. I I wanted to go into ministry as a child. My father's a minister and I wanted to follow in his footsteps, but I kind of wanted to follow in sort of daddy's footsteps, but more Dr. King's footsteps. Like I wanted to sort of be a part of saving the world from itself because I just love humanity, right? And I just love that. And what happened was my dad would talk to me about not, the church doesn't allow this. Yeah. The erasing, the erasing and the diminishing. Right. And I said, well, here's the thing, dad. Um, I think spiritual life is really important and I can't hear you because you don't understand my experience. What I hear from you is judgment. And for you to be in the pew, in the, in the pulpit, right. Or to our conversation in the media, for you to be the only one up there saying that this is open to you, 
leaves me. You never said I couldn't. You never said I was bad. You never said this and that. But what I learned in the silence, what I learned in the absence, what I, what I, the story I create in the absence of seeing myself in places that would empower me is that I decide I don't belong there. And that begins to build itself into our self-concept. You know, and then we've got to, you know, it doesn't matter how many doors we open. If I've been taught and I've come to believe that I don't get to go through it. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's the baby elephant, you know, tied to the post for a decade of its life. And then you take the, the, the rope off and the baby elephant never leaves the post. Yeah. You know? Because right? as, as a big elephant, it doesn't believe that it gets to. Yeah. Right. And that's the importance. That's the critical nature, I think, of the work that you're doing. Little girls don't believe that they get to. Yeah. You know, and when you said that this was sort of born of you being in the industry and the story that was being sold was kind of, well, girls don't want to do this stuff. And you yeah. said, yeah, but, but what if they do and they just don't know how? Like, what if nobody's ever shown the path to them? Right. Yeah. And so then you stepped in, thanks to your mom and dad telling you, well, what's the solution? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Inviting you as a child to apply your imagination to the obstacles. What a, what a wonderful parenting strategy, right? Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, so I have seen, uh, like Reese Witherspoon has her Sunshine Media or something like that. And, and she's been creating women's stories. And I have seen Netflix and these different channels um, affording more women, it, it appears to anyway, uh, be affording more women access to creating things. Um, what do you teach the girls that in the, in the non-binary folks that allows them to uh, compete in this industry? What are the most important things that you find you need to share with them and get them good at? Um, that's such a great question. I think one of the things that is really interesting about film and unique as far as a system of employment is concerned is that you literally have the list of jobs at the end of everything, which you don't have in any other field. You don't get a list of who made your, you know, car or anything else. And so, and one of, but yet there is no really fully realized, as far as we can tell, if it's out there, somebody reach me because we'd love to work with you, um, training program for all of those jobs, right? So I think even if you are lucky enough to have the means to go to a specialized film school, you might learn about directing and producing. Sometimes you learn about editing and cinematography, but that's a really expensive undertaking if you don't entirely know that that's what you want to do. Like when I went to film school, I was really only told about being a director. I would be a terrible director. I do not like to do the same thing over and over again. I don't, I just don't like, I wouldn't do it. Like I, just, that's a, I think directing is awesome. It's just not for me. And you weren't told about all these other fields. And so many of those jobs, especially on, um, live action set, actually, you know, all of them really are generational. So you found out about them because your parents were a set designer or costume designer or a gaffer or electrician. And the other thing about them is that not, I would say none, I could be wrong, but like 
most of them will not be replaced by AI. So these are actually really great, solid careers. Many of them are union, which we don't even talk about unions anymore in the United States, but unions are really important and incredible things, especially for women. It gives them job security. It gives them some protection if they're you know, harassed or they have issues in the workplace and they can't necessarily go to their direct superior. So we try to do the best we can by demystifying all of those. So all of our workshops are taught by a woman, sometimes a few brave men come as well, who have that as a career, right? So they come in and they say, this is what I do for a living. I'm going to teach you how to light this set. And this is where, how I got to this job. So you get to like learn the skill, but you also get to learn the pathway to it. Um, and we have everyone from incredible Academy Award winners that come um, to incredible women that, you know, have made their living and been able to like create a different life from themselves that's not necessarily feature film. And to your point around Netflix and some of these other organizations, which I do think are really being super smart and embracing more diversity, a lot of those are television jobs, which that's another area that most people don't even know about. So we're learning more about what the difference between a TV director is and what the difference is a feature film director. So we had Jennifer Lynch, who um, came this summer, she directs for... Lone Star 911. And it was just amazing to hear like my day starts at 4 a.m. because I want to know everybody's person's name on set. And so, and then I go like 12 hours a day. For some people, that sounds awesome. For other people, that sounds this person horrible. But like, you know, like, <laughs> but that's okay. Like, you can see that there's so many different roles in this industry. And then she invited her writer to give a workshop for us. And so, Christy Lowry talked about, because in television, the writer is actually above the director. And so that's a different job and how that, and, you know, and so I think we teach them this skill and we also like bring in folks that look like them so that they can see that there is a place for them in these roles. And then for our young folks who are serious, because we do serve people through college and like, you know, we really work on mentorship. Okay, great. Like Jennifer Lynch said that she would um, let you come observe on set with her. Let's make that happen. Like, so that you can go to a television set and see what that looks like, because we all know, no matter what the career path is, if you are in the minority of a new job and you mess up, that's your last day. If you're a white dude, you can fail up left and right. <laughs> you, so we have to do a better job of training our folks so that they walk in that first day and they're confident and they know what they're doing so that they can get, have a second day and a third day, because when they do that, then they'll be handing the baton now off to someone else. Thank you for all of that. You know, it's so refreshing to know that that is behind all of what you're doing, that, 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 that understanding, you know, because I think so, so often uh, people who haven't had to find their way into the middle from the margin yeah. will quickly say, well, you're not trying hard enough. <laughs> or, well, you know, have some confidence. Like, get over here and tell, tell me what you need to tell me. You know, just yeah. sort of have this expectation of uh, sort of an agency that people aren't afforded the opportunity to develop in their lives right. because of the way our society uh, has kind of placed them, so to speak, socialized, yeah. right? The way that we've right. been socialized. So, and it's such a beautiful thing. And I think that that's one of the great gifts that women uh, are just fem feminine characteristics, feminine, you know, femininity, uh, the effeminate energy 
uh, be it in male or female, but let's just bring it since we're here. Yeah. I think that that, that creates a whole different place to be generating story from. Absolutely. Right? And that's, that's, see, my passion is story. Yeah. You know, I did it in stand up. I did it in improv. I've done some, uh, some stage things. I like to do it now on radio, uh, or podcast. Um, I am blown away by just the amount of time that we've been talking, the things that I didn't know about, you know, things that you've pointed out. I was just like, I had no idea. I, I spent, I spent 15 years pursuing a career in film to be in front of the camera. Yeah. And I didn't know uh, that all of that, like all of these pieces are part of the puzzle. Like I didn't know that there were these, this many positions and stuff behind the camera, which is where I would want to be more now. Right. Yeah. I'm just, I'm like, I don't need all that drama. Just <laughs> let me. I mean, enjoy. I think there's some drama behind the camera too. Like, of course, of course there is. To go into film. <laughs> of course there yeah. is. But you know what I'm saying? It's yeah, like, totally. you know, I don't have to, uh, you know, be given a name because I'm dating somebody. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, you talked about mentorship, which is one of the biggest things that I advocate for in our world. Yeah. Um, I've done a lot of work with folks who are formerly incarcerated. And so a lot of my relationships with mentorship have been through uh, recovery from addiction and, uh, you know, sort of you get this recovery thing and then you help somebody else get it. Yeah. Uh, and also reentry from jails and prisons. And I, uh, I know of a few people who have become filmmakers coming out of, uh, you know, the systems of incarceration in our country because they've learned the value of story within. Right? right. And giving voice to those who typically don't have, um, you know, just sort of the, the, the opportunity to use it. Right. Well, and I, I just uh, with the formerly incarcerated, especially, I think not only giving voice to the voiceless, but giving the voice to who have been so wronged. Right. By like how they've been perceived in the media. Right. <laughs> like, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I think like that's a perfect, you know, example of you know, when we look at who is often, you know, like arrested on camera or like that horrible television show cops, which is like, you know, there's so much that leads from cops to where we are now with police brutality, right. Yeah. Where people think it's a, uh, um, funny it's yeah. And like, Acceptable. there's no freaking due process. Like, you know, like, I mean, and also like nobody understands the constitution and blah, blah, blah in the United States right now. But like, you look at cops and like, none of those people have been convicted. I don't, I should say I have not watched cops, but like, um, on the commercials for cops, like you see people being arrested. And so the assumption of course, is that they've committed a crime, but that's not actually how we that's work. not how it works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like it, so, and there's no, I don't, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that cop, the cops does not end every episode with like a constitutional law lesson. Right. Um, so, you know, so anyhow, just, but like, I think that that's such a good example of like what happens to what has continued to happen with, you know, our, um, you know, prison industrial complex. Right. And how do we get here? And I think what you say is really important too, because as somebody who worked within this prison industrial complex as an instructor yeah. for uh, recovery and the process of and, and family issues and trauma recovery and healing, I can tell you that I was in the jail for three years before I understood, like I had to get my background checked, right? When I went yeah. into the state prisons and stuff to help with programs. And I uh, continued to say that I had never been arrested. 
because I didn't remember being arrested. <laughs> yeah. But I had been arrested before in a blackout when I was drinking. Yeah. And it was on my record and my saying that I hadn't been made me a liar that they didn't trust to come into the facility. What I didn't know working in the jail is that everybody who was in that jail, it was like, you know, they were accused of something. Yeah. They were not sentenced. They were they had not yeah. been proven guilty. Yeah. People are in jail for years because they can't afford the bail. And what's if you take it down to a simple thing we can all understand, it's as much as the big brother saying the little sister did it. Yeah. That's how yeah. guilty they are. Yeah. They, the little sister might have done it. Yeah. But does she have to sit in her room for two years without connection to her family or her community? Because anyway, so we could go there. Yeah. But here's what, here's what it does to have people who are formerly incarcerated uh, get into film. Here's what it does to get girls and um, non-binary folks into film. Um, it, does, it, it changes the narrator, yeah. right? In order to change the narrative, we have to change the narrator. And I think that the cops is a wonderful example, right? This is from the perspective of frustrated cops and people who think that certain people are bad people, yeah. right? The poor yeah. Um, the people of color and, and, and this, the poor people's campaign is something that I'm involved in. And, um, that's one of their greatest goals is to change the narrator Yeah, to give the microphone, so to speak, to the folks who are experiencing extreme poverty in this country, yeah. rather than just talking about it, like something that happens. Right. Well, and I think to that point, what we also do at real stories, which is sort of like I can't believe that it's not being done everywhere, especially now that we're doing everything through a screen is media literacy. So we might not be able, you know, we have thousands of young women and non-binary folks that come through our program. Sometimes, you know, I would love for all of them to want to go into film, but that, you know, sometimes they're going to like skateboarding camp the next week. I understand that, you know, but what we do give them is a chance to ask, why is that person the narrator? Like, yeah. even if they don't even want to become the narrator themselves. But I think that is the important part around with all of the media and all of what's going on right now is that we need to be giving young people an opportunity to think critically and to ask questions of who made this and who is this for? Oh, and, yes, please. And also understanding like you and I can watch the same show and we can have a very different reaction to that. That doesn't mean yeah. your reaction is bad or mine is bad, but we have had different life experiences. That's right. And so it is great if then after that, you can actually have the skills to have a conversation and be like, why did that affect you? So I thought it was funny. And you're like, I did not find that funny. And this is why I didn't find it funny. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that I won't still find it funny, but it validates that we both, you know, two people can watch something and have, walk away. I don't know say Fox news and walk away. Well, very and this is the beauty of what it is that you're doing too, is that it expands. It's, it's just, it's inherent in the way that you're doing it and inherent in the, in the, uh, the education that you're providing. It gets back to those like critical elements of critical thinking. It gets back to the uh, everybody sitting in the room at one time and discussing the same thing. Yeah. Like that's, that's kind of basic, you would think, but we don't see that modeled. No, we're not seeing that modeled, and we're not seeing it is okay to disagree or yeah. to have different experiences. Well, and it, I think for young women and non-binary folks, like especially 
it's not only modeled to like, it's not okay, but it's like modeled that it's bad, right? And you're wrong. And that you're wrong. But like girls, like the stakes are higher if girls offer up their opinions, right? And so, and you know, all marginalized folks. And, And so we need to get them to have the practice to say, I disagree with that, or I respect your opinion, but I want to move on. So like, you know, one of our basic tenets is like, once they've formed a team to work together, they can't break up. Like they're gonna have to work it out. It's just a, it's just a movie. Like, you know, like, so, you know, I'm not saying I really don't care if anyone has a best friend at the end of our program, but I do really care that you have some colleagues because this is otherwise a lonely industry. So there are going to be people that you really like that you don't want to work with. And there are going to be people that you really want to work with that you don't want to have over for dinner. Those are fine, different relationships. And Frankly, men have those types of relationships all the time and there's nothing wrong with it, but we have really limited the type of really, and I don't know why, and I, I'm not going to act like I'm an expert, but we have limited the type of relationships that women have with one another, um, you know, with folks that are maybe sit differently on this gender spectrum or racial spectrum than you do. And we, we need to fix that and fast because women are so much stronger together. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. I love that you just said the stakes are higher for marginalized people to speak up. That's one of those things that gets overlooked all the time, right? That's one of those things that's so critical to empower folks who have, uh, <clears throat> who are moving into mainstream or moving into the center of the conversation from the margins. It's so important that we prepare them to do that, right? Um, is there a film in your life? that really just kind of bonked you over the head and said, wow, I want to do film or wow, uh, that shifted me, that changed me. Like I'll never be the same because of that film. I mean, I don't know that there's any one and I think it can be different on the day of the week. I don't, I honestly, because it was also, I started working on films before I really had seen too many films, right? Like Uh, as a teenager, we didn't, go, I mean, whatever. We didn't have a television. Uh, <laughs> it was, um, so I think I love just like the technical behind the scenes stuff before I really, but I do think like, there's just been some opportunities to really, um, more recently that when I've really gotten to see like families like ours, um, you know, represented or, you know, yeah. I think just strong female characters that, you know, and I think cause like women in the movies are often so punished of like having a career and a family and you fail at one. And I actually think that most women do pretty good at both. And like, if you choose to stay home, that's also fine. Like, but we've pit ourselves against one another yeah. in so many ways that like, I actually never have seen in my real life, a working woman who is completely flout. And especially now, like we're all doing this at home. And like, you know, I'm like, where did this narrative come up that like you are, you know, you can't do these things. Like, yeah, really not that. And again, like you said, (laughs) if somebody chooses to stay at home and raise their children, that's fine. That's wonderful. That is an option. And also if you want to do hard work. Yeah. And really, yeah. And by the way, not the lazy choice. Yeah, totally. But also if you have a creative thing that you want to go out and pursue, or if you have something that you can do both, you can do that instead. Like that all of these options are open to the individual to choose, Yeah, right? That we have choices. We don't just have a track. Yeah. That we're on totally. as females or as people of color, or as non-binary folks, that we yeah. have this, we, we get to choose yeah. 
which doors we walk through, right? right? Like what a different world we would live in if we believed that, right? Right. And um, I'm looking at your website right now, which is, by the way, Real Stories and cleverly, R-E-E-L-stories.com. And uh, you've got several workshops and several recent events. I'm interested in, in you telling us just a little bit about uh, the Animation Day, the Women's Filmmaking Weekend, which I experienced, and uh, the YouTube workshop. What brought about the animation and the YouTube workshops in particular? Well, I think we just continue. I mean, we're a small organization, right? We're less than a half million dollar budget a year. What that means in nonprofit world means we're small. <laughs> um, and we have three full-time employees. What that allows us to do for better or for worse is like, we're just agile. Like we can meet folks where they are. And we have always had on our um, actual board of directors is a student board of directors. So when I, when I started real stories, I didn't have any youth development background. I am just a filmmaker. I'm not an educator. I didn't entirely know what I was doing. Luckily I had some really smart people that came out of the woodwork to help partner on that piece. Um, Heidi Craig Cabra, who at the time was the, uh, chair of the digital media department at Oakland School of the Arts and is still now a huge part of Real Stories, um, was like, do you know how to teach teenagers? I'm like, no. Is that a problem? Yes. <laughs> um, let me help you. Uh, like, uh, and, oh, that's great. But I think one of the, so by having a student board of directors, and I just feel like this is such this weird gap that we continue to miss, right? Even now, like I have a teen, I have a 15-year-old daughter and a um, tw- 11-year-old son and like, we're in this very weird world, right? Where everyone's learning from school from home and all this stuff. And like, there are no opportunities that I see that schools are asking young people for what's working and what's not. And let me let you in on a little secret. If you have students on your board of directors, they are amazing. And they, so like the animation day and these other things came about of like specialized things that they wanted to learn that they felt, you know, and especially with my animation background, one of the things that, you know, is amazing about Pixar and amazing about technology is the product that they put out. The hard part is the product that they put out. Like it's just takes forever. Films of Pixar take four to six years. Just how you learn. Like I couldn't really wrap my head around how we could teach that. So luckily I happen to have a lot of really amazing women in my life who were like, let's, this is what you can do. And so we were able to like create these basically like sampler plates of animation that the technology with all of this stuff is just another tool, like a paintbrush or um, a sculptor's, you know, lathe or whatever, but you want to learn the principles of animation. So we can teach that in a day using stop motion or using um, pixelation. And then if you are interested, then we can get you into a program. Like we can, you know, have a little bit more vast program. And the same thing with the YouTube workshop that came about because that's where our young people are getting their media. And that's, you know, YouTube is a little, or at least I'm finding that their numbers are hard to find. But what we do know to a certain extent is that content, male content creators way outnumber female content creators, but females are more, are, you know, femme identified non-binary folks are more engaged on, you know, so they're content consumers. So how do we change those numbers? How do we get folks more, if they want to be content creators, how do we give them the skills to get there? So that's sort of, those types of events. I mean, really since March, we were able to move everything online and that um, was a huge challenge, but it's really opened us up to like even offering more 
opportunities that are not geographically based in the Bay Area. So we have students joining us from all over the country now. And we're going to do our women's weekend online in October as well with Heidi, uh, who I just mentioned teaching. So, um, you know, it's not perfect. It's not ideal. It's better to be in person, but I think it's really, really, really important. I mean, that's why we kind of doubled down and dug in and tried to do this that, you know, in March we had one global historic event happening (laughs) with the pandemic since March, we've had like, you know, so many. And what I think, especially with where we are with like the uprisings for racial equity, which I think are so important, but one of the ways that I'm receiving this information is that we were taught history from only one perspective, right? And so we have historic events happening right now, and we cannot have the same thing happen in 20 years from now where we look back and we only see a white cis male perspective. So that's right. I really like think the onus is on the young folks that are coming through our program to learn how to be storytellers and documentarians, whether it's documenting what's currently going on or just a story like what is this system, what is all these things happening right now bubbling up in you from a creative point of view and how can we get that out? Because I think all of that artists will lead us out of this, but also we need to like really do a good job of documenting what's going on so that my grandchildren are not like, what happened in 2020? Yeah. (laughs) Well, and that's part of what really got my uh, podcast going too, is I think I just really, uh, it happened, I started just before that, but there's been this like uh, gurgling inside of my creative self, just knowing that there's there's voices that aren't telling the stories that are going down in history, you know, that need to be telling the stories. Um, So, you know, and it's interesting, I have to just tell you personally, right now, as I'm listening to you, uh, and all of all of the sort of uh, paths that you have found are important to lay for young people in the margins. And I don't even think I was conscious of how much I could have used somebody distinguishing YouTube as a tool versus uh, I've spent so much time trapped in learning the tools that my creativity has not been able to move through that yeah. for years, Esther. Like I'm j- I just realized that like last year I found myself completely overwhelmed trying to do, you know, getting my book published and trying to market it and trying to start my podcast and try to do like I do online gatherings and circles and just doing all of these things and trying to do them and, market them and put them out there and learn the tools to create them. And like, there's so much, Yeah, it's like, it's like you said, there's so many jobs behind the scenes that it just, we don't even realize. And I have found myself completely trapped in this unrealistic expectation that I need to do all of them. Right. Right. And, and feeling like there is no team for me to gather to create some of the things that my heart has a vision for. Absolutely. You know, and I and think, I, go ahead. No, 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 you finish. I, I just, I, I have said it before. I've said it to my wife. I've said it to my brothers. I've said, you know, I just don't want to die with this stuff in me, but I need help. And like, I've put out like these, like, you know, pathetic 
all calls to Facebook, like just not knowing what to do or where to yeah. go to find people who might share in my desire to make these things happen. And it gives me such hope to say people like Heidi see a need and they say, I am so invested in this also that I will help you. Yeah. You know, and that's the kind of community that I think bringing women and people of color and, and non-binary folks and, and queer people and bringing all of these folks into this industry more, uh, and not just in the shadows, but like in the middle. That's what that's gonna that's gonna take care of in time, right? Well, and I think to your point, we also. I mean, I was I've been really sort of ruminating on this since the very sad and tragic death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg the other day. Of like, I think you know some onus on us as women as well is that absolutely we put all of these like hopes on this one person instead of training the next 20 people. So like you are doing an incredible and amazing job of really getting behind what you want out of the world. And I am so honored to like, see that your book is coming, you know, that came out and all of this stuff. And like, we as women need to like create that community to help support you. And I do find that still to be something that is a struggle that you know, as, you know, I see it in our like social justice communities all the time where you do have a super strong leader, but they are so burnt out yeah. trying to raise money, trying to do this. Like we should like get behind them and be like, okay, run for office. Like, right. like how do we get you to a national larger stage? Because I do think, you know, the c- more conservative right wing is very good at that finding yeah. younger voices and getting behind them with their money. And, um, And they're, you know, and unfortunately we live in a capitalist society. So money is very important to this, you know, whole system. You can't barter your book for groceries. Like, I know, I know. um, So I tried. No, I'm just kidding. Like, I I have an apple, just an apple. Totally. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. (laughs) Um, So I just think that's, that's, that is such a challenge that we have to like, I mean, it's something that we see even with our, you know, our top notch filmmakers that are coming out of our program that they're very likely to share their films of their friends, but they won't necessarily support their own work. And I'm like, right. you gotta like, you gotta do this. Like, cause if you really want to like do like, you're going to have to get out there and like pitch over and over again. Like just, it's a calling card. You did an amazing job. So, I mean, you know, we've got a lot of work to do. We, I mean, there's like work to even the playing field. And then there's work to like, create more internal drive, not drive, but like support. Well, and I think that just hearing you say that there is this place called real stories, right? Where people are stepping in and stepping up where, uh, you know, seven years after your first, you know, let's see what happens. Yeah with this uh, 15 women are graduating film school and that you're still supporting many of them in terms of mentorship and just being, uh, you know, accessible to them. Um, That all gives me tremendous hope. And I think Esther, one of the big gifts that you provide in doing the work that you're doing to women like me and to women who are younger than me and to just people who don't see ourselves all the time in the media uh, or in, you know, the middle of these conversations that are really important is um, that it, it's possible, you know, that it's possible yeah. and that it's good and that it's exciting and that we're capable. And it's important because the more that we do that and the more that we learn that for ourselves as individuals, the more we won't wait. See, we wait f- to be invited. Yeah. 
And that's socialized. Yeah. You know, we wait for somebody to open the door for us because we were socialized that way. You know, gentlemen, open the door for you. Yeah. And so we wait for the door to be, and we have to let go of that. Right. Right. I mean, thank the guy who does it because God yeah. bless him. What a sweetheart. I love yeah. you, honey. You know, kiss him and let him know that he's a good boy. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, and I don't mean to take away from uh, the beauty and I the mean, value of guys being. It's an open door. It's but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, giving us the, the chutzpah to get out there and do yeah. it. You know, yeah. and then it just starts leveling the playing field on its own because right. people have better options, you know. I've had men tell me they'd rather listen to the stuff I put out than the stuff their buddies put out because they don't want to hear the stuff their buddies are putting out. They want to think, they want to feel, they want to be challenged, you know, and, um, and that's important. I'm interested if you would tell us some of the experiences from the young people, uh, things that they've said to you, uh, the value that this has brought for them or surprises that they've come across as a result of work, it, one of your workshops or something, things that they've seen in themselves or any of that. Yeah. Um, you know, we, I, I have the greatest job in the world to work with the next generation because we're in the middle of it. Like that's not, you know, most days are not necessarily hope filled in my life as a progressive person who's raising a child of color in the United States. Um, and so to see how smart and capable our next generation is, is, and, you know, and frankly, not even the next generation, um, you know, when we do these women's weekends, it's also the same opportunity of, uh, really getting that opportunity to grow with folks who have hope and have a lot of engagement in a lot of different levels of society. But I think one of the things that is just, you know, I think what is, there's some things that are really unique about real stories that I would love to tell you that I was smart enough to think about and install in from a systems point of view, but I wasn't, um, it just happened. So, you know, we are a sliding scale tuition model. And so that means that no matter what your financial need is, you can come. And what I now know afterwards that that's really unique. I didn't know that it was unique, but you know, we in the Bay Area, especially with um, economic disparity, continuing to grow. We have programs for kids who are experiencing poverty, and we have programs for kids that are you know have a more stable um, economic background. Things that young people have no control over, right? <laughs> right? Like they're how they're finding, and we don't. There's very few programs where they get to interact, and I think that is also really like that's it's been awesome to watch to see how many preconceived notions that people had about certain zip codes fall away that most of these folks are worried about the same thing like high school getting into school feeling safe in their school whether that's um, because they're being harassed for their gender or their sexual orientation or their race um, and that they really come together to form great partnerships which i think is and again that's the power of stories like to see folks coming together to make a film together um, where both where they, they all have pieces of that in, in the story. So I think that's really important. Um, we do the same thing with uh, kids of color, I, you know, um, where they're often put into a program just with other kids of color. I think that there's elements of that that are really important, um, but I think it also can be like segregationist. Um, and so we want to really be as inclusive as possible around that. Um, you know, some of the stuff that we've heard, which just, you know, kills you in the right way of just like, I've never felt like I belonged anywhere else. Um, you know, that I think a lot of girls programs can be very narrow in their definition of girl and the type of girl or what they feel feminism should be, or it's very much like you go girl. And, 
you know, if you are that type of person naturally, then that's awesome. But I'm not that type of person naturally. So I also, if you want to sit in the back with the book and you are still, I still can tell that you want to be here and you're not being rude. Cool. Like my guess is, is whatever you're reading is probably really awesome. And we might get some cool stuff from it. So (laughs) I think it's just seeing them work together, seeing the friendships and like the, you know, and then when they're able to like how, you know, we just, we have two of our alumni that are one just graduated from college and one is in college. They work for us. I threw like a really important media project at them for a big grant and they got it done in two days. So like, I was like, great. That's, you know, I was like, this is a big deal. Like, can you handle it? Yeah, totally. And I was like, okay. And then it was amazing. So really, um, yeah. Um, so, you know, I think, I don't know that there's like one personal person story sure. that I feel comfortable sharing. Also, um, you know, my own kid comes to the program. So I think that's always entertaining where she's like, I'm the one that was called Dora. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I think it's just seeing that growth and seeing like these opportunities missed by general society to gain their insights because they are teenagers and they think they don't matter. And I was like, right. okay, so have you not noticed what's going on in the world? Right now, like teenagers are tearing it up. Greta Thunberg, all the March for Their Lives folks. Like our world is going to be a better place if we just listen to them. Yeah. Why are you? I mean, yeah, I get it. I have to. They're annoying sometimes, but also listen to them. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. How about that? What an idea. Yeah. Nifty. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's crazy. You're crazy talking girls right now that are working on a documentary about the election and voter suppression and fraud, none of them can vote like, right. But this is so like, they're so engaged in their, in, in what is happening in the world and how it is going to affect them. They are all between the ages of 15 and 17. You know, they are not going to be able to vote in November and they are going to crawl over broken glass to make sure that the adults who are voting are actually thinking about them. That's awesome. Well, I, uh, I could go on in this conversation, I think, for another hour or two, frankly. I mean, I would love to talk to you about, you know, the cost of pulling the arts out of schools and yeah, the, right. the cost. I mean, there's so many things yeah. that we could talk about. Maybe we have another conversation yeah. one day. But I'd love that. But uh, for now, is there anything that you uh, just don't want to leave without telling us or putting out there? No, I would just say, you know, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Um, one of the things that we've been doing, which has been really amazing since uh, shelter in place went into effect is we're having weekend weekend weekly Instagram lives with different female and non-binary content creators. So those are completely free. Um, if you get on our mailing list, you can, I think they're generally Thursdays at four, but because last week we had this amazing Nigerian female filmmaker who made one of the first films featuring a lesbian couple because homosexuality was illegal in Nigeria until just a few years ago. Um, and so she was able to like do an incredible Instagram live about what it's like to be, you know, a queer filmmaker in Nigeria. And so that was at a different time because, you know, time change. Um, but yeah, so, and then we've got some great programs coming up. So, you know, um, most of our programs are for, you know, female identified non-binary folks, but we do offer monthly masterclasses, which are open to anyone. So we think it's really important that men get to learn from women as well. I think you, I agree. Yeah, I agree. It's just seeing folks in these leadership positions. So, 
um, you know, the more the merrier. Uh, we'd love to have you and, you know, join us if you can. Well, I want to do the October one. I've already jotted it down. I mean, okay. we'll, talk, we'll talk about that. But um, I agree. I think that it's important that when we do these, you know, um, when when people of color do strictly people of color uh, activities and events or, or nonprofits or when people do uh, aimed at women, aimed at non-binary, it's not uh, to say that that which isn't is not appreciated, right? It's not to say that uh, white people aren't good and can't be good. It's not to say no, that we that we don't love men <laughs> yeah. and, and stuff like that. It's just to say that, um, you know, we are all better when we are all heard. Yeah. You and know? I think that all of those spaces for folks are really, really, really important. I just want to be clear that I think like when folks, you know, what we're able to do at Real Stories is be a space that bridges that at times. But I also feel like, you know, I think we're ready for it. I think yeah. that the world is ready for it. I think that if we put on our big girl pants and our big boy pants and our big binary, non-binary pants, <laughs> yes. I think that we're ready for it. You know, Esther, because I was, what I saw when I went uh, after the 2016 election, the women's March, Yeah, I went out to the women's March and that was one of the first things that I did is interviewed people that looked different from each other. Like, why are you here? That's all I asked. And I, and I recorded their answers and I saw every group represented that has had to march in the streets before. Yeah. Everybody of different races, of genders, of sexual orientations, uh, everybody was out there marching together. Yeah. And I think we're ready. I think those, those unique spaces are important. The segregated, so to speak, spaces are important because we need to learn that we're welcome in the bigger conversation. Yeah. And we need to work through our own stuff that, that we've been handed to figure out that we are so valuable. And then we also need to sit in the same space together and hear how life feels differently walking through it in our skin and in our shoes, because that's how we grow. That's how our perspective grows. And that's how we, we become healthy as a community, right? Is, is learning to honor each other's journeys yeah. is learning to honor and value each other's journeys and, um, frankly, the more you do that, in my experience, the more you're willing to say, yeah, I don't know what the answer is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there may not be an answer. Yeah. I hate to, I hate to end our time together, uh, talking about a meme that I saw on Facebook, but I think it's fantastic. Uh, there's two people and they're standing, they're facing each other and on the ground between them is a number. And one person says nine and one person says six. And it says neither one has to be right or wrong. It just yeah. means that you've never seen it from my angle, from my yeah. perspective. And what a gift to recognize that. And that's the work that I see you doing. Oh, thank you. That's the work that I see you doing. And that's, uh, there's no price to put on that. So, um, all right www.realstories.com. This is Esther Pearl. And thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. This was amazing. It's wonderful to, be part of this. So I really appreciate it. Right on. This has been another episode of Just Say It. I'm your host, Jen Slumack. I don't want to thank you for coming by. I encourage you to go to my website, www.soulnotskin.com. Tell your friends if you enjoyed the episode and we'll see you next time.